1: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, our monthly interview show where we sit down with the best, brightest, most notable pick- people in the video game industry. My name's Ryan McCaffrey. This is a gentleman who, uh, even if you don't know his name, you felt his influence. His name is Ed Freeze. He uh, is one of the co-creators of Microsoft Excel, <laughs> uh, and then it, more in a more fun way. Although Excel's fun for some people. <laughs> It's fun to work on. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. You also, of course, ran Microsoft Game Studios uh, uh, during the original Xbox days. And were responsible for a lot of key acquisitions, including Bungie, Halo, etc. So, Ed, I want to start with the fact that you may be ultimately responsible, you specifically, (laughs) may be ultimately responsible for the Xbox even existing today because... Uh as the head of Microsoft Game Studios back in the late 90s early 2000s you bought Bungie who of course was developing Halo and yeah. without Halo I it, would, would you agree that without Halo the Xbox might not have might not have survived without that killer app
0: I think you're probably right Yeah I think you're right
1: Yeah it's uh but let's rewind a little more let yeah, okay. let's go back let's we'll, we'll let's, come back to there we're, pit stop <laughs> in the time machine yeah. Let's go back to early childhood
0: <laughs> Oh uh, wow we're going way back okay. Yeah We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do that All right I'm sure
1: you fell in love
0: with games early in life, I didn't did. you, as I, I was did. researching Re- really games. early, yeah. You know, both my parents are technical, so my, my dad was an electrical engineer working at Boeing. My mom was a chemical engineer working at Boeing, wow. and, and then she quit to have the kids. And then uh, once we were old enough to stay out of trouble, she went back and got a master's in computer science. So double-E dad, computer science mom, she's working at, at DEC, Digital Equipment Co- Corporation, old computer company. And so mm-hmm. they'd bring stuff home. You know, for us to play with. Uh, so I grew up like soldering stuff together and making little, you know, you're, you're like the Tiger Woods.
1: Of, you're just right <laughs> from an
0: early age, just just uh, training from the from the early from when you could walk. It was weird around our our, our ta- dinner table at night, yeah, with the stuff we talked about. But my dad would bring home um, these programmable calculators with little uh, little mag tapes that would go through little HP calculators that probably cost ten thousand dollars at the yeah. time, you know. And you, I could play like Lunar Lander and Blackjack and. After a while, I started to you know reprogram them, try to make my own games, that kind of thing, and just went on from there. So, as you
1: as you started to play games, was there a specific game that spoke to you that really sort of set just set into your consciousness and, and made you really knew, know that you wanted to be have games be a part of your life for forever?
0: You know, it was more like um, it was more like well, okay, I loved games. But I also loved programming. Yeah. And so I loved both of them. And I didn't... It took a while for me to put those two things together. And they kind of go in and out together in my life. So, you know, I really enjoyed... I, I really enjoyed programming. And it was like, well, what am I going to program? Um, games seemed like a fun thing to do. Um, so I started imitating games I'd see in the arcades. So I did uh, Space War was one of the first games <laughs> that I did. Well, I, I had gotten an Atari 800 yeah. for Christmas one year. And so started programming it in BASIC and then learning assembly language, programming it in assembly. I did a Space War clone and then...
1: All self-taught, I'm guessing.
0: So yeah. I mean, you know, the way, and if you talk to people of my era, it's it's usually pretty similar. It's like uh, we'd get these magazines in the mail, uh, like Creative Computing or Antic, other other magazines and they'd have BASIC game programs and you'd sit there and you type them in <laughs> and, um, and then they wouldn't work because you made a mistake online, 137. <laughs> And you'd have to debug it, and and you know you type in enough of those, and it's you start to like internalize how to make a game. Right, you're right. learning a language. Yeah, literally. right. And 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 then and then after a while, and this is where you kind of drop off. Some people, um, at some point, you realize basics just not going to cut it, and you have to go to assembly language, which is which is kind of a big step. Um, and then, uh, but when you're programming in assembly, you can really make the machine go fast and do stuff. So, so anyway, I wrote a. Um, I wrote Space War. Then I wrote uh, a Frogger clone called Froggy, and you know I'm totally not going to get you sued at all. No right, problem exactly. there. So I'm a high school kid. I'm working at a pizza place, you know, and to make money to buy games. Yeah, <laughs> um, of course. And um and I and we had the early arcade games there, and I play them at night, you know. And uh, anyway, I make this Froggy thing. And it goes... There's no internet, right? Of course. So, yeah. and it just says, Buy Eddie Freeze on it, okay? Um, it's Froggy by Eddie Freeze. I just made it for fun, right? But it, it goes around on some bulletin boards and finds its way down to California. And there's a little company down here called Ramox. Um This would be 1981. Wow. And they're... Um, they were looking for game programmers, and they saw this thing, and they and and they found me. And I have no idea, like in nineteen eighty one, how do you find all you, you have, have is book? a name because your your name yeah. Your but which phone book? I mean, I was they were in California, I was in Seattle, mm. so somehow somehow they found the right phone book to find the right <laughs> call the 80s, operator who's a high school kid. <laughs> I am not listed in the phone book. that's my, true. You know, I have kind of a funny last name, so that helps a, a bit. But somehow they found me, showed up. You know, will you write games for us? You know, just like yeah. Wow. Yes, I will. You're I'm making pizza. Just recruiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh so that was the, that was the start of my my first part of my gaming career. Um And uh that's, anyway, I'll, I'll pause that's to let like, you. Yeah, that's. As,
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's just lucky or if that's just, you know you're reaping. I mean, obviously, f- reaping the fruit of your labor there, <laughs> right. but. That's just astounding to me. So you joined Microsoft, and I, and I just
0: want to mention, yeah, you you uh, you are not going to get sued. Yeah, so they were worried that we would get sued. <laughs> so so they made me change it. They made me uh, take out the cars. They gave it a medieval theme, basically. Right. And they changed the name from Froggy to Princess and Frog. And the idea was that you were a prince who'd been turned into a frog, and you had to Trying get, get, get across to her. Yeah. And so they, I changed the cars to jousting knights. You know, and then. I couldn't really draw a princess, so I just drew a pair of lips you know, that would move, <laughs> she had to jump on the lips, and then you were, so anyway, so I, I, I made several games for them through end of high school and going into college. Was um, it fun for you? It was hugely fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely, because it, it combined the two things that I love, you know, programming and video games, right? So I'm going to college by then to get my computer science degree. Around 1984, the phone stops ringing. You know, the royalty checks stopped coming because the entire industry crashed. went away. yeah. Right? So I'm halfway through college. I'm like, you know, I gotta get a job. I gotta pay for, pay for college. So I started working in the computer center, um, running a Unix machine. Um, and, um, and, and then I'd, during summer, I'd go back home and try to get a job during the summer. And, uh, summer of 85, I got a job for a little company called Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just a summer intern working on computer-based training stuff, um, but they they liked the job that I did. I kind of, they gave, gave me the nickname Fast Eddie because they said I was a fast, whatever. <laughs> so tried to get rid of that. I got rid of that pretty soon. I changed <laughs> my name to Ed. So then the Fast Eddie thing, you know, didn't That's work. That's right. It was no yeah. longer it's not going <laughs> to fly anymore. But uh they liked the job that I did, and so then they they offered me a job to come back full time when I graduated the next year, '86, and that was to work on Excel. Wow. So.
1: Yeah. uh yeah you get your bachelor of science degree in uh, bachelor of science degree in computer science but yeah what w- what are you doing on excel cuz i i think it's it's difficult for video game players it's tough enough for us to imagine how games are made like we get we get these vidocs and other things that sort of will show us how the sausage is made but what do you what do you how do you even make excel what are
0: what were you doing on excel yeah well i uh, you know i was really lucky i mean so um the year before, the first very first version of Excel had come out on the Macintosh. Okay, and then the team that I joined, we were taking that and moving it to Windows and adding a, a huge bunch of features and making the first Windows version of Excel. And I was the seventh programmer on the team and the most junior. Um, and so, and and I'm I'm assigned to work for the the lead programmers. Uh, at What's called the technical lead. His name's Mark O'Brien, and he was like um, he was like Buckaroo Bonsai. For me, he was like, which is old movie reference, but I mean, he was a brilliant programmer by day, and he was lead guitar for a, a rock band called Green Ice at night. Wow, you know, that's so I'm just like, yeah, I got like stars in my eyes working for this guy, and he's really talented, and um, and I learned a ton from him, and um, and we, you know, he was working on some of the hardest stuff, and he would just like give stuff to me. Um, so I would just He mentored you. Yeah. And so I would get exposed to a lot of the program, more than some other people on the team. Like a guy who's just doing printing only learns one thing. A guy who's doing charting only learns one thing. But, but we were working all through the program. So, um, you know, so after the, after we ship that version, uh, a, a different guy becomes tech lead. We grow from seven people to 35. And after we ship the next version and I become a manager of a small team of programmers, um, you know, I'd been there a couple of years, I'm running a little team. Um, and then and then after we ship the next version, that that tech lead leaves and, and I'm the tech lead now. So I'm running I'm the lead programmer and, and then it's fifty people. Yeah. So um, so that was fun um, and uh and challenging. But on the side I'm playing games all this time because, you know, yeah. I love games, you know. And that was a great time for games, you know, uh you know, I don't know. I'm I'm putting it together a to talk for, to give in a few months from now, and I was just going through all the games that came out during that era, and it's like, you know, Populous, and Civilization, and Dune 2, and yeah. you know, all these <clears throat> games that invented genres were coming out at that time.
1: Well, it's all, you invented Excel. I mean, you, <laughs> inven, you reinvented Office productivity. Do you ever stop and think about that? Like, because there was, uh, it, was what, it was Lotus 1-2-3 was the the sort of competitor that you guys were taking out of time. They're gone. That's that's not a. Familiar. They were they were yeah. our
0: huge our huge competitor. That was a big challenge for us. They were the guy. I actually, uh, when I graduated, I applied to a bunch of places, and I applied to Lotus, and I got a rejection letter from Lotus. So that always you sat, keep that. Sat, oh yeah, it always oh, yeah. sat on my wall as we were working. And they were a much they were a bigger company than Microsoft. I right. Mean, you think of Microsoft is huge now, but I mean we had seven guys trying to fight this company that was huge. You know, um, but. You know, do
1: do you ever are you ever on a plane and you look over and see somebody work an an Excel on their computer and you just sit there and go, I made that?
0: (laughs) I don't know, I guess I'm used to it (laughs) (laughs) because I I would (laughs) do that. That, That's it. I'm not saying it wasn't cool, it was really fun. It was, it was, it was really fun. Um, but it's not like why I did it, I guess I'll say that, yeah, you know, because the saddest fact programming is really fun because it's creative and you you have an idea and you try to make it something real and then something appears on the screen you know Uh, whether it's a game or a spreadsheet or anything it's 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 an intellectual challenge. It's just fun. Yeah, you know, it can be frustrating when it doesn't work, but when it works, it's it's a great, great feeling. Yeah. So, so to me, that's more what I associate it with those great feelings of making things work. Do you, pardon me. Do you still keep in touch with that with
1: that mentor of yours? Did did he did he sort of did you did you get to show him your the peak of, like, I helped build the Xbox. <laughs>
0: you know, he, he actually, that first guy, you know, he went off to, he, he left to go to Juilliard's and study music, wow. and he's, he's an amazing Good musician. You know, my next boss after that left to move down to L.A. and became a painter, and he's, and he's a kind of old world oil painter. Um, I mean, it was an amazing group of people that I got to work with at an incredible time. Man. So, yeah, I was very lucky to be around. So, uh, you end up
1: is the head of Microsoft Game Studios tasked with building a portfolio for a console launch? Oh Microsoft's man, you just
0: skipped uh, ten years of my life. Okay, <laughs> are,
1: are there high? Well, you know, it's a it's a gaming audience. All I'm right, let me best. fill in a yes, little please. between
0: that. Okay, okay, so, so, so after, so I am lead programmer in Excel. My boss, uh, so we and, and we beat Lotus One Two Three. Yes, but there is another big competitor, Word uh, Perfect. On right, I remember. So, so my boss gets put over in charge of. Uh, uh, word uh, but the next level up so he's business unit manager and he immediately gets in a fight with the development manager the person who manages all the developers and he leaves and so then he comes and knocks, and he says ed you want to come over and work with me and i like this guy he was great to work for so so that was my next step up in my career and i was managing the team of programmers on word and we were battling word perfect which was another huge battle they were way bigger than we were um, and we battled for five years and we beat them and that was a whole nother another thing that maybe gamers don't care about but it was important to me. Well we all I, mean, I think most of us use Word or have at some point. I mean it's uh But for me it was more well, about know, careers been in Word. For me it was more about, you know, learning to manage a bigger team and yeah. and just kind of broadening my skills from just being a programmer, right? Um so so at the end of that time my boss had left and I had a new boss and anyway. It was time for me to go do something new, and they wanted me to move down to California and run PowerPoint. I didn't really. think moving
1: it. through the whole office portfolio at this point. Yeah, it
0: was natural. I could have just stayed with my career, you know, and and done that, but it would have been in, as a business ma- unit manager, so in a business role for the first time. And um, I'm like, well, if I'm going to look around, let me look around and see what else is sure. out there, you know. And uh, I knew there was some a little group of people that were doing games in the company. I didn't know much about them. I was actually at the airport one day, uh, flying somewhere, and and I run into somebody at the. They were like, "Are you? You know, hey, did you know that we're looking for somebody to run our group? You know." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting. Hmm. I love games." So anyway, I ended up going interviewing for that job, and then what happened was, um, everybody. <laughs> A bunch of vice presidents freaked out, and they told me I was committing career suicide. They said, "Why would you leave office, one of the most important parts of the company, to go work on something no one cares about?" That's a direct quote. Wow. <laughs> so that's why I didn't want you to <laughs> that last part because it's important. Um, but I, I ignored them all. I, I, you know, well, I, I. They let me do what I wanted. Yeah, eventually.
1: <laughs> well, because you probably would have just left the company otherwise at that point.
0: I mean, I had I had a, earned a fair amount of political capital, maybe so they're yeah. like they're like rolling their eyes. All right, let Ed go off do his game thing. I mean, they all <laughs> he'll know, be back. You know, whatever. If he, you know, he wants to throw away his career. That's fine. Um, so I so I go over there. The first I'm do you keep the, a list of those people to laugh <laughs> at and, and just you know no most sh- of them are friends. Did you mail them all
1: Xboxes <laughs> later? <laughs>
0: It's, anyway, <laughs> maybe we can get there later. But um, so I go over, and it's a small group, really talented. A lot of them are are still there, um, still doing incredible work. Um, and, you know, they're showing me stuff that they're working on. They're like, oh, we're working with this little company down in Texas called Ensemble. They're making a, uh, this real-time strategy game. And I was a big, you know, Dune 2, Command & Conquer, Red Alert player. And so I was like, oh, this is great. You know, this is so amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they have all this other stuff in production. I mean, but it's, you know, it's a small group, uh, you know, 50-ish full-time people. Well, it was kind of
1: um, big back then, really,
0: right? Well, it was the size of my other team that was just programmers. Gotcha. So, okay. Um, although they actually, it turns out, they had a lot of contractors that I, I didn't realize that at first. So the effective size was probably more like 150. But I show up and they're like, "Hey, we're going to Japan next week. You know, you you want to come?" Uh, I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> you know, I've only been to Japan once more, just with a visit with a visiting a friend. So go to Japan, and it's like this, inc- you know. I mean, i literally just taken the job and it had been... I was a little frazzled because, you know...
1: You're finding your bearings, people right? People are
0: telling me I'm making this huge mistake in my career and, you know, I think I'm doing the right thing, you know. But then I'm there and I'm walking down the streets in Tokyo and we had just, you know, we went and visited all the great Japanese game developers, you know. I go in and I see... uh, uh, uh at Capcom, they're they're showing me this game they're working on. They call it Biohazard, which of <laughs> course Evil. is Resident Evil. And, and I and I look at it, and I'm like, this is Alone in the Dark, uh, <laughs> you know, for people who know their game <laughs> oh, history. Yes. And and they're like, yes, yes, Alone in the Dark. You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and it's like, so this is like, anyway. So it, I just remember very vividly walking down the streets of Tokyo that night and thinking, I made the right choice. Like, yeah. you know, at that point, I knew I was. I had no more regrets, no on the more. right path yeah i was this is I had done the right thing and then so then there's almost five years of building up our p c game business mm-hmm. you know, and so uh bringing in uh fossa you know Jordan Weissman and sure. his amazing team mech Warrior, crimson skies, all that stuff, uh working with uh chris Roberts start, starting digital, digital Ambul, Ambul, yeah you know um and you know I did what I think any gamer would do if they were Somehow, magically, in the position of having a company with a ton of resources yeah. and people trusting them is like I went and worked with everybody I could who I I respected. It's like, oh, I love this game, you know, you know. Can I go work with Westwood? We tried to acquire Westwood. We actually almost did that. Mm. EA yea outbid us at the last minute. But it's too bad. But you know, try, I went around talked to everybody I respected in the industry. You know, I played Myth uh, for Bungie, which helped later. Um, but anyway, so we just built up the team through acquisition and, um, and pretty soon we were like, you know, five, 600 people and we're growing in the PC game development, uh, you know, our percentage of PC game sales and that's where Xbox comes in. So sorry, I had no, to, no, no, it's okay. I wanted to fill that gap yeah, in. Where,
1: so who comes, does somebody come to you? Uh, is, yeah. it, is it Robbie Bach at some point comes to you and says, all right, we're going to do a console.
0: No, no, not Robbie, not at all. Um, <laughs> So the, the guys who come to me are people like, uh, Seamus and Otto and those guys. Yeah. And, and they're like, you know, they're, they're DirectX evangelists, right? Yes. So they, so what that means is, you know, they work on the part of Windows, they're part of the Windows group. They work on the part of Windows that games use. Yes. The, the gaming API for Windows. And they had this idea to make, uh, a, a console uh, that was really a PC. At that time, the original pitch was, we're going to make this thing that's going to look like a game console. You'll stick a CD in, and it'll install it quietly in the background, but it'll really be um, just a PC CD. And then it'll play like a console, but it'll really just be a PC game. Wow, how full circle we've got. <laughs> I know. It's so, Crazy. It's, so, it's so true how full circle. And um, anyway, so they... I had already turned down several other console-like attempts, by the way, in, at the, in the company. Interesting. At like an example is the, the one that was real You, that uh, historians out there will remember is uh, Windows CE on Dreamcast. Yes.
1: Okay. It was, on the, it was stamped on the front of the there Dreamcast. Was there was a Windows logo. logo. Yeah. Absolutely
0: right. Did my group develop for that? No, because I thought it was... Not a real opportunity, not interesting, you know. And so I got to like decide what are we going to support and what yeah. are we not going to support. So they came to me and said, "We have this idea," and and I liked it because I had this huge portfolio of PC games that I was developing, and this sounded like an easy way to get in the console business. This <laughs> is the irony, um, you know. It's like, oh, this will be great because. Our developers all know how to develop on a PC. This will be a PC. And, you know, and so, yeah, this will be so easy for me because it would be a lot more work for me to work with Nintendo or Sony. And, you know, we don't really make the right kind of content and we don't understand right. those systems. And, you know, that's how it started. So uh, so I teamed up with them. And, um, and uh, there was another guy, Rick Thompson, who came in. He was going to run it for a while, kind of in the Robbie role. And then he ended up leaving and Robbie kind of got drafted in. Actually, uh, quite a bit later. Um, so,
1: as <clears throat> as Xbox is spinning up, yeah, you've already been building this portfolio. But right. do you get a blank check effectively at this point? To s- <laughs> and say, when you're told, okay, let's go build, go build a launch lineup, go make this thing happen.
0: Eventually, yes. There's a, there's there's a famous story about the Valentine's Day massacre, and I don't know if you want me to tell that story or not, but. Um. I feel like I vaguely know <laughs> of it, but I'll bet our audience doesn't, and I could use a
1: refresher if it's okay. a good story. I'll
0: try. It's a good story. I'll try <laughs> to do the short version. Uh, um, so basically, uh, so two things. Um, there were actually two internal teams that wanted to build a console. Okay? I teamed up with one. Yep. The other was the, the continuation of the uh, Sega Dreamcast line. And they had a bunch of X3DO people. Um, There and they wanted to do a console, Hmm. and their console was very much a pure console, Um, you know, fully
1: closed platform, everything.
0: Exactly, only had a CD. Ours had a hard disk. Ours ran Windows. Ours was a PC in disguise. Theirs was like a PlayStation Two. So that. Goes all the way up to vice president, or all the way up to Bill Gates, wow. you know, and we all have our vice presidents on our sides. It's like classic Microsoft battle, you know, and, and, and actually some of the ones on their sides were guys I used to work with on Excel and we had ours, you know, and, and we have this VP battle and, and Bill chooses and he chooses us because we're more on strategy, Microsoft yeah. terminal, because we're running Windows and all this stuff. Okay, then we spend a year Figuring out what it's actually gonna take to do this. And during that year, so, so their thing is shut down and a lot of those guys come over and join our team. Yeah. You know, and the more we look at it, the more <laughs> we like start to move more and more towards their direction. Okay, we don't go all the way there, but, you know, at some point we drop windows, you know. We're like, this is gonna, you know, we really want this closed, you know, single process thing that's gonna run really fast for games and blah, blah, blah. So anyway. So, all of that culminates in this big meeting, it was on Valentine's Day, where we're going to get the final approval or the project's going to get canceled. Wow. Okay? No pressure. <laughs> you know, we've been through a lot of battles by then. You're not, we're are in you sleeping that night? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. It's like, I'm, yeah, I mean, the worst thing could You're happen. confident. The worst thing, it, no, not at all. The worst thing could happen to me is I go back and keep making PC games, which I love. Yeah. So, that's fine. Um, you know, uh that wasn't true for everyone on the team, by the way, but um, but but anyway, for me personally, it's okay. Okay. So uh, we go into the meeting, and um, four o'clock, Valentine's Day. Bill walks in. He's holding our deck, PowerPoint deck, throws it down the table, and he says, "This is a blanking insult. To everything I've done at this company, basically, was the quote." <laughs> that was the start of the meeting, <laughs> and we all look around at each other actually what we did was we all looked at jay we all turned and looked at jay Jay allard jay allard because we knew he's mad about the windows thing because we we forgot to in microsoft terms pre disaster him we didn't we we didn't (laughs) we didn't we didn't didn't let him know that we had sort of so anyway so we all look at jay but jay is not he's like in shock (laughs) for a minute you know so i start up and i try to explain and he yells at me and shuts me down. And then Robbie steps up and tries to explain. And then he yells at him and shuts him down. Then Jay steps up and he yells at Jay and shuts him down. Anyway, and this goes on, you know, and then, and, and then Balmer starts to, Steve Balmer starts to get in and he's going through our business plan and it says we're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and, 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 um, and so he's beating us up about that, you know, why are we doing this? It's so expensive and why, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hours go by, so it's 5 o'clock, it's 6 o'clock, it's 7 o'clock. Now, this is Valentine's Day. Yeah, you most got plans. Of us, you got... Most of us have something going on, you know. So so we're all looking around at each other. And, you know, we, we keep saying, you know, we've spent a year looking at this. This is the best plan. If we want to get in, this is a machine we should build. It's a strategy we should use. Yeah. You know, and we just basically keep saying that over and over and over and over again. Um, finally, n- near the end, one of the guys who was just kind of an observer at the meeting uh, raises his hand and he says, "What about Sony?" And it's a ballsy guy to raise his hand when, <laughs> when Ballmer and Gates are
1: are just breathing oh, he, he fire. Was a, he
0: was a senior guy, and he had been writing over the years a bunch of of, of documents, kind of because this was sort of his job. He'd writing these documents saying, "You know, Sony's like slowly invading the living room with processor here, memory here, yeah. hard disk here. If they put all that together, it could, it could be a future threat to Microsoft." you know. To so that he, living room. Yeah. So he just says that. He says, what about Sony? This is probably, this is about 8 o'clock at, at night on Valentine's Day. And um, Bill and Steve stop and they look at each other and Bill says, yeah, what about Sony? And yeah, Balmer says, yeah, what about Sony? You know, And then they look at each other at it. and then Bill turns and he says, I'm going to give you guys everything you want. I'm going to let you guys, I'm going to approve this plan. I'm going to let you guys go off, do your thing. You know, I'll give you all the resources. I know you want to be separate from the rest of the company so you're not bothered. I'm going to let you do that. You know, full blessing, go, do this thing. And then Balmer basically repeats the same thing. Yeah. You know, five minutes, and then we walk out of there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I turn to Robbie and I say, that was the weirdest meeting I've been in in <laughs> my whatever then fifteen years at the company. Um, but we had full approval to do wow. Xbox. All's well that ends well. Yeah, I we guess. had the blank check. How many uh And that was <clears throat> February of two thousand. We're shipping November two thousand and one. Yeah. And I have to have a launch portfolio in eighteen months.
1: So uh gee, well that brings us to Bungie, I
0: suppose. <laughs> it does.
1: It uh does. Was what drew you to them? Uh, you mentioned Myth earlier. Yeah. Was it? Was it? You obviously liked Myth. You, were, you said you mentioned being familiar with it helped out later. What draws you to Bungie?
0: So you know I'm a gamer, uh, right? And so you know I had been going to GDC since you know '95 or something yeah. like that, and, and hanging with game designers that I that I liked and cared about. In the case of Bungie, the guy I knew was their business guy. His name was Peter Tampty. And um, so I, I knew Peter, um, but it's not like I originally thought of Bungie. What happened was one day my my phone rang, um, not long after the Valentine's Day massacre, and I picked it up and it was Peter. And Peter said, hey, Ed, um, you know, we're kind of in financial trouble. Uh, we're thinking we're going to have to shut the company down or sell it to someone. We have an offer from Take-Two. Take-Two already... Published own- myth, right? Right. Take-Two already owns a third of us. Yeah. Um, but we're, we want to talk to other people too. Are you interested? And I'm like, yes, I am (laughs) definitely interested. And he's like, you know, we also, we have this halo thing we're working on, you know, we could show you. And I'm like, I'm interested. I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to build a portfolio for launch. We definitely should talk. And that was, that was how it started. There was a guy on my team, John Kimmick, and he really drove the deal. And, um, and, and I had to negotiate uh, uh, with R- Ryan, who ran uh, Take-Two, you know, to split up Bungie. Yeah, figure out that part of it. Yeah, so once I understood what they had and everything, it was like, okay, all I want is this thing they're working on called Halo and all the development team. You know, you can have, we'll finish Oni for you, which was another game they had yeah. in development. And you can have all their back catalog, um, all their old, all older stuff. Yeah, Marathon and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that was the split. So it's like all I want is this one thing, Halo, and all the programmers and you know, the team, and all you get all you want is this. And so we we made a deal. We we split it up, acquired the company and moved the guys out to out from Chicago out to Seattle. Man, well that worked out well. <laughs> um With Kizzikanc's free shoes, motion. Sounds something like this. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz, and how he rose from nothing to become New
1: York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Now, it's fairly well publicized at this point that I've I've talked to a lot of Microsoft guys that You guys weren't expecting Halo to be this killer app.
0: Yeah, well, it's kind of true. And, um, you know, we'd been in the game business long enough that we knew it was unpredictable. And we especially knew that we didn't know what we were doing in the console world. And people were constantly telling us, people like you. Shooter won't work. (laughs) People were constantly telling us that we didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) you know um i don't mean you in particular but i mean you know any i was still in college Ed. give me a break any we talked to the press they would say you know what's your mario yeah you know, I was like well, I've got this Master Chief thing, but it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, and I'd show, you know, I'd show them games and they'd, oh, those seem like PC games, you know, and they're like, yeah, you know, and it's like, you know, and we're pushing this multiplayer networking stuff and it's like not really a console thing. The colors look wrong. Somebody, somebody's complaining about the colors don't look bright and cheerful enough, you know, and it's just all this stuff and you hear it enough times you, you start to wonder, you know, I mean, maybe we really don't know what we're doing, <laughs> you know, um, uh, but we knew we loved the game. Yeah, I mean, we were playing it a ton uh, at the office. Everybody was loving it. Um, but we go into E3 2001, and um, the console's still very much under development. We the the machines we had to show their half speed uh, graphics card at that time. Yeah. So everything's running half speed. Um, they try to show this multiplayer demo on the floor, and it doesn't really impress people. I had the single player demo behind the scenes, and I thought it was really cool, but, uh, if you read the press from that time, it's very, hmm, I don't know, wait and see, you know, uh, so we weren't sure. You know, at the same time, we were working with some console people, uh, you know, Project Gotham Racing, Bizarre Creations, uh, they had, they had worked, uh, on a Sega title before that. You know, uh, Lauren Lanning. Lauren, the- Lauren Lanning, who I saw last night. <laughs> Uh, right. Uh, Munch's Odyssey. Um, and, and so, yeah, so going into launch, um, you know, definitely Munch and Halo were, you know, from the marketing guys, you know, they're like, hmm, you know, experienced console team, well-known franchise, you know, or PC game in a genre. There'd only been one other first person shooter on a console at that point, right? Cold night. So, you know, it's, It's not just that it's a PC; it's just like an untried thing. Um, So, yeah, there was a lot of skepticism, and even going, even if you look, sometimes I'll talk about this. I I show a penny arcade cartoon from the time where they, where they, where they, right at Xbox launch, and and the last frame is Halo is shit, (laughs) and it shows a toilet seat. (laughs) Um, I mean, there was you know. Some people were saying stuff like that, Influ- influential people, you know. But as soon as we launched, the game, of course, <coughs> became defining, took off. And, you know, and then it, you get all the, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. We all knew that was going to be the case. We all knew it was going to well, be that, great.
1: That's what I wanted to ask you is, like, you know, some, whatever, six months later, whenever it's it's just blowing up, it's taking off, do, uh, d- does everybody uh, at the company who maybe was any skeptic, are they all just, like, just bowing before you at that point? Like,
0: oh, and <laughs> you went and got us this, no. this savior? No. In fact, I have the opposite problem. I have the exact opposite problem.
1: <laughs> How is that possible?
0: <laughs> Which is that now Halo is too important, okay? Now everything, all the marketing people, all the planning everything wants to revolve around Halo and the next Halo, and there's huge pressure to get the next Halo out and to to rush it out. Um, In the meantime, I'm like, my goal is to make more killer franchises. You know, we're doing lots of different things. I'm always looking for great developers like Bungie, and they're incredibly talented, you know, but the way I'm going to make Xbox better is by doing more cool shit like Halo, (laughs) not by Focusing everything on this one game, this one team. Sucking
1: it dry like a vampire. Right,
0: right. Which, of course, we've all seen happen to franchises before. I didn't want that. The Bungie guys didn't want that. They wanted to take their time and make the next Halo replay. Well, they had, I wanted to ask you, they had two
1: things in development that I've recently, over, well, over the years, particularly recently, learned more about. There was Jason Jones a few years ago told me about a game called Project Phoenix. Mm. That was a
0: Minecraft type sort of mm. castle thing. Mm. You remember that? I don't remember that particular one, um, but they but here's what happened. Yeah. So after Halo One shipped, Jason went off with a small group of people. To start to do some experimental things, and one of them was a minotaur like gypsum. That was yeah. the next thing I was going to ask you about because right. we had Marty O'Donnell on the right. show, and he so told that, me about gypsum. So that one I remember. Yeah, I don't remember the other one, but it, where it fits in the timeline, I'm not sure. But what happened was, look, Jason is the heart and soul of Bungie. He always has been. He doesn't. He doesn't usually want to be up front on stage, nope. whatever. But he is the glue that holds that whole place together, even now. And when he was off, even though this team is super talented, imagine like super talented people in every category, you know, so like programming, art, right. production, all this stuff. But there used to be a guy, every time that they had an issue, they'd go to him and, and he'd say, the vision. this, yeah, exactly, the vision. That guy's gone and now it's like a committee trying to run it. Okay. And so they ran that way for a year. And uh, and then we reviewed the project, and it was really off the rails. Um, and and Jason said, "I'm going to come back back into that role, and I'm going to fix it. Um, but uh, it's going to take a bunch of work. Right. It's basically another year to the schedule. So instead of being a two-year project, it's a three-year project. Mm-hmm. This was um, a big problem for not for me. <laughs> but, well, it ultimately was for me. <laughs> But uh, a big problem for all the other people who thought that Halo should be the center of our entire universe. So, so th- this sort of leads up to why I left, actually. Um, so, why did? Well, let's just <laughs> go straight there. I mean, because I, I asked you about gypsum and Phoenix,
1: but uh, I want to ask you about Rare too. Yeah. So we, maybe I guess we'll, we'll take a pit stop at Rare let's do for, before you let's leave take, the company.
0: Let's take a, a Rare pit um, stop.
1: <clears throat> you played a big part in that. That was an extremely well publicized. <laughs> Uh, just an a, a earth-shattering story Yeah When it happened for the game industry uh, So, but, but, but real quick Can you dispel an old rumor for me? Sure And that's Did Microsoft ever consider or attempt to buy Nintendo? Was there ever anything to that old rumor? This is going to be good because you're taking time to answer it. I can. You're gathering your thoughts. I like this.
0: When we first started thinking about doing Xbox, we met with Nintendo, and we sat down with Iwata and others, and we said, "This is what we want to do. This is could we do it? Could we partner? Could we work together on this?" Yeah. And um, and basically, they said no. Um, uh, you know, it was like we could do the software the networking stuff, you guys could do the hardware, we could team up, put out a product together. They said no. Um, Then Bill met uh, with Sony. Same deal. Can we work together? Can we (laughs) partner? And they said no. So that is true. Interesting. Um, Actually, if anyone thought about buying Nintendo, uh, I, I never heard that. So... That's, We're that's just, well, there it is. <laughs> I mean, so, you ask Robbie that question or ask someone I will. else. I'm going to try and yeah, get him in Ask Bill. Here. When you get Bill in here, ask him that. I, it could he's have a little happened. busy saving the world <laughs> right now to come in and do my dumb interview show. <laughs> yeah, sharing, well, but. that's important, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so rare. So rare. So it's like all these things. I mean, I had been a big fan of their games, you know. Um, I, I I was actually a really big fan of, of Diddy Kong Racing for whatever reason. I loved that game. Uh, you know, uh, Conquers Bad Fur Day. They're just guys who, you know, there's only so so many teams. As you know, when you go around this industry, there's only so many teams that do like that are special, super top, yeah, special work, yeah, and so. You know, for me, it was always... It, it wasn't like we were going around, let's acquire all these people. It was like, how can we work with each different team? Yeah. Sometimes, like, the Bungie guys, we didn't set out to acquire them. They called and said, we're going out of business. You know, it's like, okay. We, you know, we will rescue you. Yeah. Right? Um, in the case of Rare, they had a uh, an agreement with Nintendo, where Nintendo owned half of Rare. And this was an agreement that was, like, 10 years old. Yeah. And... Uh, Nintendo had an option to buy the other half of Rare. And that option was coming up. Now, I had met with the Rare guys before this. Just, at that time, they were still fully in the just Nintendo Just looking to work camp. on something, maybe. Because you never know what's going to happen. Just so we know each other. Right. Right. Why not? You know, we all love games. We can sit around. We can talk yeah. games. Then they know who I am and, you know, what I'm about. And I know them. So, you know, maybe... A year and a half, two years after that, you know. Again, they call me up. They explain this arrangement that they have. They explain that Nintendo, it doesn't look like Nintendo's going to exercise their option. Wow. Um, after all the IPs and things that Rare built, that's interesting. It was shocking to me. And, um, and it, you know, having been through a bunch of these, ba- my whole career is like, you know, battling 1, 2, 3, battling Word Perfect, you know. Now we're battling Sony and Nintendo. You know, and here's... Here's an opportunity where it's kind of like two birds with one stone kind of thing. You know, it's like, you know, okay, this is going to be expensive, but we're going to take away one of what I think is one of the best developers from our competitors. If, if we were just doing that, that would be one bird, you know, and then, and then we're adding them to our team, two birds, you know, yeah. you know, so. Cause
1: theoretically, with what you're telling me now, with this whole option coming, Sony could have come
0: in. Absolutely. And, and
1: bought Rare instead.
0: In fact, Activision almost did
1: i 'm um, sure that would have ended well
0: so um so we put in a bid, and then uh, Activision outbid us, and it looked like we were going to lose the deal hmm. and then at the very last minute, Robbie increased our bid um, and uh and we won wow, and we won the deal um and uh and yeah, that was it and and who knows what what could have happened with rare um you know um, are you, are you, uh, in hindsight, are you, you
1: feel still feel good about the Rare deal?
0: It's sort of unfair for me to, to me, for me to say, because I left soon after the deal completed. Yeah. And so, of course, like in my mind, if I was managing Rare, the Stamper brothers would still be there and they would have done cooler stuff and it would have all been great. Um, I left and then they left soon after, Yep, you know, and, um, and so, who knows what would have happened? It, it could easily have gone the other way, right? It could easily have just <clears throat> maybe once we bought them, they made a lot of money and they would have left no matter what, right? Who knows?
1: So, uh, so then you leave. Early two thousand four, Ed Freeze walks away. Uh, Xbox was just coming into its own, really, yeah. at that point. <clears throat> yeah, uh, we'd had you know you, the, the portfolio was really starting to grow. Uh, Ubisoft had done Splinter Cell exclusively yeah, right, for which Xbox, was which was. Just this amazing stealth game, that the, yeah. the likes of which we hadn't seen before. Really, you know, there was Metal Gear, but now there's Splinter Cell. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and then the 360 would have been on the drawing board back in early 2000. I read Robbie's book. Oh yeah, uh, would have been back uh, on the drawing board we, then. So we
0: were working on 360. I worked on 360 for a while before I left. Yeah.
1: So I, I have a sense of what your answer to this question might be because you've you've already you've been hinting at Your whole career is just one big battle after another. But so yeah, what. Well, Respectfully, why do you,
0: why do you leave at that point with the, the system coming into its own, the 360 on the horizon? Yeah, it's complicated, and and you know it has to do with a lot of different things. Um, I'm turning 40 at that time. Yeah, uh, I've got one kid at home. I've got the second one on the way. Um, I've been there almost 20 years. Um, I made a lot of money uh frankly yeah the
1: the i mean num- the, programmer number 7 on excel yeah. that's a that's a good
0: gig to get in so, hindsight so these are the things on one side of yep. the balance on the other side um, when i left office and went to work on games i found myself in a situation where i had a huge amount of freedom to do whatever i wanted and cuz because no one cared you remember that <laughs> quote yeah no one cared what i was doing Okay, by the time we got Xbox out and it was proven to be a success, everyone cared. Everyone cared. It was like working on Office again. Hmm. Um, Everyone wanted to have a say about what we're doing and how we're going to do it, and they didn't know the game business like I knew the game business, and it was very frustrating for me. And an example is the Bungie story I told you. Yeah. Okay, we needed to take an extra year. To do the next version of Halo, I meet with my boss Robbie Bach and say we need to spend an extra year. And and by the way, I enjoyed working for Robbie. We worked together almost a decade. Yeah, he was a great boss. I'm a product, you know, technology game guy. He's a sales and marketing You're the business guy. Um, not really. I, wh- I mean, okay, I run I ran the publishing business. Right, but but yeah, but I learned how to run a business from him in a lot of ways. Um, it, so instead of saying, alright, we should take this extra year, he said, let's have a vote. So he's, he brought in all his senior staff members, Jay Allard, Mitch Koch, uh, other people you don't know, uh, and went around the room. Should we force Bungie to ship on the original schedule because Halo is so important to the company? Or should we give them the extra year that they want? Every person in the room voted we should force them to ship on the original schedule. These guys don't except see that. Except the, for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked out of the room and I said, I will quit now if we don't give them this extra year.
1: Don't they, they don't think they're gonna, they don't realize they're gonna kill the whole IP
0: by probably the, gonna... The IP that is so important. Right. Kill the golden goose. Kill the golden goose. Marty likes to use that term, golden <laughs> goose. It's a good one. And these are not, Dumb guys. They're very smart guys, but they didn't see the whole picture.
1: They apparently only, ironically, see things in spreadsheets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and it was sad. It was a, you know it was a sad day. It was a day where I, for the first time, could see the future of where things were going. Right. And it was much more committee run, and ne- not necessarily a committee whose direction I agreed with. And um, so how's how does How where's the extra year come from? Because I said I was going to quit. Right then. That worked. And it worked. It worked that time. <laughs> but that was just one of a million things that are less, imp- you can only threaten to quit so many right, times. Right. You Both know what I mean? Wolf. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, well, what about this next thing? What about this? Ne- Am I going to get to do what I think is right? Or are we going to have a vote, you know? Um, and that's, so that's the frustrate, that's, you know, like I said, it's like a scale, right? I have all these things that I could, I could be at home with my kids, having fun, playing games, doing what I want, you know, or I could be going to work every day, fighting these battles. And even though we were in a great spot, even though I had a great job, uh, it was getting more and more frustrating. You were in a position where you could. And, and the draw of the other side was, was, was nice. What
1: what would Ed Freeze's Xbox 360 have looked like?
0: It w- you know, uh, it wouldn't have been that different. Uh, you know, I think, I think they did a, a great job on the 360. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, you know, Robbie's strategy to launch an er- a year earlier than everyone else to, uh, to, uh, keep the price low, yeah. uh, worked very well. And, and Xbox grew its market share a huge amount in that time. So I think he made a lot of good strategic decisions around what he's really good at, marketing, positioning, that kind of thing. Um, what would have happened with a software portfolio? Who knows? I had a great team of people who were running these projects, and they're still great whether I'm there or not. You know, so they continue to do a lot of great work. But, you know, whoever took over for me, you know, which... I'm sorry. You know, Then now they get to step into this political morass and they yeah. have to fight their way through it and try to do the right thing, which is hard, really hard. What's, so.
1: uh, what's your fondest memory of the, of those Xbox days for you?
0: Probably the fondest memory for me is Launch Day, New York City, uh, just... With when Bill you, Gates
1: handing over that first console? Yeah,
0: we're midnight launch, we're in Times Square, Xbox is up on all the screens and, uh, 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 just... You know, it's just one of those moments in your life where you know you're like at the central point, you know. So it's great, great memory.
1: Do yeah. you have a, Do you have a favorite favorite child, favorite Xbox, original Xbox game
0: that just is sort of near and dear to your heart? Well, you know, after I left, they they canceled Psychonauts, and that was kind of a blow. Um, and I and I spent some time down with Tim Schafer trying to help him yeah. work with them and get a good deal in the cancellation and make sure that that game. Found a home. Seamus actually helped a lot too. Uh, finding yeah, him was a new publisher. at that time. Right. And, uh, and so, um, Psychonauts is, uh, is a title from that time that so I'm proud, Psychonauts of, Psychonauts proud of. So did you back Psychonauts too? I did back yes. Psychonauts too. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They did a nice little video uh, history of Psychonauts. I did like a three-part video. You know, the two-player productions. Yeah, those stuff.
1: documentaries are awesome. Yeah,
0: and they had me in it, and it was very kind to me about my role in the project and things like that. So yeah, I definitely backed it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and actually, I just I, I just because my 11-year-old hadn't played so. You know, I got him the Steam version, and he. my 11-year-old is a connoisseur of games, by the way. Nice. He's a serious... Chip game. off the old block. He's a serious game critic. If you want opinions about what's wrong with your game... We're, we're th- probably hiring. <laughs> this is the we kid. might be hiring. Yeah, this but... is the kid. That's what everybody's like. Can I hire him? <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, he just sat and played Psychonauts for two days straight, which means he loved the game, yeah. you know, because he has a million games to choose from. And it's just like, wow, this game still holds up. So you're you were know? telling
1: me before you came in, uh, or before we got in the studio here, that, you know, you're, that you're big in the, you love retro games. You've been in this whole retro kick. Part of that, you made Halo
0: 2600.
1: <laughs> I did. You made a Halo game as if it were for the Atari 2600. <laughs> The good thing Please about, tell me that
0: story. The good thing awesome. about quitting your job is you can do whatever you want. And, and when so, you got that FUXL <laughs> money, you can
1: make Atari games.
0: You know, so it's like I went off. I had, I was very close to the Blizzard people. I had tried to acquire them several times, and each and that's a whole other set of stories. Wow! But through that, I got to know them real well, and so they, you know, the game got me into the early beta of World of Warcraft, and so I was a big World of Warcraft player. And then I started figure prints, which you and I were talking about before. Three D printing World of Warcraft characters and just doing a lot of stuff during this time um, yeah, uh, a lot of uh, advising board member kinds of things and that's what I still do today I'm an advisor to game companies bo- sit on yeah. boards um, but I when you're an advisor board member it's like I love doing it because I stay connected sure but I, at heart I'm a builder you know I'm a maker of stuff I still I still like to program I still like to make that's things great. and have that joy of seeing it you know so I'm always, I always have these crazy little projects going on the side. My, my kids know I, I call them procrastination projects. So it's like I have all this work I should be doing. Instead, I'm going to work on my procrastination project, right? So Halo was one of my procrastination projects. Halo 2600. Yeah. And and it started. <laughs> uh, I, I was speaking at a conference in Philadelphia, and I was talking about the old days working on the Atari 800. And somebody came up to me afterwards, and they said, "Did you ever work on that 2600? That was 1977. I was, you know, I would have been 13. As I, you know, no, I never programmed on that." Um, They said, "Oh, you should read this book, Racing the Beam. Racing the Beam. It's named after staying ahead of the electron beam, okay, as it scans across." And so I read this book, and I was amazed, like how difficult compared to the Atari 800. It is to write a 2600 program. So that's a challenge then. Yeah, it's got 128 bytes of memory. The sprites, if you can call them that, are a single byte. And you have to know where the electron beam is on every line. And you have to change them if you want each line to look different than the Hmm. line after. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, this is... I can't believe they could even make games on this system, you know. But um, So I looked, and there's there's emulators, and there's assemblers. There's the equipment that you need online, the software that you need... To play around, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put a sprite on the screen. You know, what am I gonna do? And so I just opened Paint, and I drew a little Master Chief. Okay? And I, and, cause I couldn't think of anything else. And I just, and then I implemented the code to put it on the screen. Yeah. You know, and I got him work, got it working, and, uh, and then I'm like, well, I could make him move around. You know, so then I write some code to make him move around, you know, then, then I write some code to have some alien guys, and then I write some code to shoot the aliens, aliens to shoot back, you know, but it's just a goof, I'm just doing this. Right. You know, no intention of doing anything. Then I come down to GDC, and uh, it was, this would be 2010, and I run into, I just happen to run into, like, Mike Micah and Chris Charla, and and they're standing there with Todd Fry, who uh, worked on the 2600. Todd Fry did the Pac-Man hmm. uh, for the Atari 2600, kind of a infamous project, but anyway... And and they're like, hey, have you met Todd Fry? He worked on Twenty Six Hundred. I'm like, you know, I'm dabbling with the Twenty Six Hundred myself at home. They're like, really? What are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I just did this Master Chief thing, you know. And they're like, oh, you have to do this. I'm like, I do. And they're like, no, you have to finish the game. Like, make that game. I was like, really? They're like, and yeah, Mike, Mike was like, I'll help you. You know, can I can I make some sprites for you? and I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm not really an artist. Yeah, I could use some help. Um, You know, and they're like signing up to be my play testers and. Um, Ian Bogost, who's there, who wrote, who wrote the book *Racing the Beam*, and so he's my playtester. <laughs> and um, so they just encouraged me. And then uh, you know, so I, I worked on the game, made it, I, I really fleshed it out. You have only four thousand bytes, four K, to fit an entire <laughs> game, and it has it has sixty-four rooms. You fight your way through, and then it has a big boss battle at the end. And squeezing that in four K is is really hard. But it's the kind of stuff I used to do. Yeah, you know. Um, so there's a nostalgia element, and uh, you know, released it at Classic Gaming Expo, and it got a, got more excitement than I expected, um, and uh, and then things got really weird because then what happened was um, was Chris Melisinos was putting together the first video game art show for the Smithsonian uh, American Art Museum. <coughs> And he calls me up, He says, like, can I interview you for the thing? We're doing, like, a video of a bunch of game people. Yeah. Sure, I'll do that. And he takes some quote out of the video of mine where I talk, say, uh, programming is like poetry. And he puts it on the wall, the thing, you know. Um, but he's also like, can we include Halo 2600 as, like, just an example of homebrew? Because there was just examples of everything about the game system. I'm like, sure, put it in there, you know. So the curator of the Smithsonian American Art Museum after, the show is this huge success. Sure. It's like one of the biggest things they've ever put on, you know. Um, and, uh, so afterwards he's looking through the collection, through, looking through the games and he f- just falls in love with Halo 2600 because he thinks it's like sort of this ironic retro look at, you know, a future product and all this stuff. And he's like, you know, can we add that to the permanent collection of the Smithsonian American Art Museum? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Yes, you can. (laughs) So anyway, so then it ended up being in an art show that they did later called Watch This two years later. Then they approached me last year and they said, will you join our board of commissioners to help us decide what new artworks we're going to bring into the American Art Museum? Because we want to bring more games. You're definitely qualified for that. (laughs) I said, yes, I will. So I have my first first meeting for that next month. Unbelievable. I'm really excited about it.
1: You seem to just run into all the right people in your life,
0: whether it's... (laughs) You know, <laughs> it's a charmed life. It's a good life. There's a lot of serendipity in my life. There is. And, uh, you know, I, I think you can. I think people can be um too controlling about their lives. <laughs> you know, I think, I think if you, you know, it's, it sounds like a cliche, but, you know, for me, it was, what are the things I love to do? What are the things I'm good at? Pursuing those and, and letting things work themselves out.
1: Before you go, I got to ask you what you think of. What, what do you think of the Xbox One and where you think the Xbox is going and where you'd like to see it go? You know, we've yeah. seen talk recently of, you know, is, is it going to be, become more PC-like with incremental hardware updates? Yeah. The platforms being sort of opened yeah. a, a lot more. What do, you, what do you think of the Xbox One and, and where, the, where, 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 where you think it's headed and where you'd like to see it go?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously they really stumbled on the launch. And and really what happened was they sort of undid a bunch of the things that Robbie did with the 360. Right. You know, they they didn't launch first. They launched at too high a price. And there were a bunch of other things we could talk about (laughs) that have changed since then. Yeah. Right? Uh, Which is too bad. But fundamentally, it's a good product. Um, Absolutely. and, And... and but it's also interesting to see what Sony did because Sony completely—they made a
1: 360, <laughs> basically, <laughs> they, right?
0: They did. Uh, I mean, the, pro- the two products now are, are very similar, and they're ve- and they're both PCs, right? They're both back to where we were. You were yeah. talking about you know the, that original vision. So, um, so I actually like both consoles. I think they're great. I have sure. I have both, you know, and and we play different games on them, like any hardcore gamer probably of does. <laughs> Um, and um, so this, the, the other important thing is, I think, that to talk about Phil Spencer for a minute, you know. Phil Spencer is somebody I recruited into the group long ago. Um, when I decided to quit Microsoft, I had 1,200 people working for me. One person walked into my office and said, should I quit too? <laughs> and that was Phil Spencer. Wow. And I said, I was like, no, Phil, you don't have to quit, it's okay you you should do what you want to do. You should stay, make this stuff better. So he's a great guy, you know, a ton of loyalty, obviously. And uh, I was really happy to see him go into that role. And I think that he's done a great job of of fixing things. I mean, a great example is this recent thing, this opening up Xbox Live for cross-platform play. Um, I hope that Sony is going to respond likewise. I'm I'm a big fan of Shu Yoshida mm-hmm. at, at Sony as well. And a great leader. There. He's been a great great guy. Loves games, um, and and it's good to see some of the war kind of ramping down and and more kind of respect and cooperation between those two groups. Um, so um, so I'm very optimistic for the future of both companies.
1: Well, Ed Freeze, thank you so much. Your uh, plug, real quick. Your your
0: you've got this whole retro.
1: A uh, kick going on. Where can we read and see all of your <laughs> things you've got going on?
0: Well, I, so um, now I'm getting into like like 2600 wasn't old enough, so now I'm going back to the very very beginnings of the video game business. So I started with uh, computer space, and you can read a blog I wrote called "Fixing Computer Space." If you just look for that, it's sure. edfreeze.wordpress.com. Um, but I have several more queued up after that that I'm like in the process of, of writing. I'm not really a writer, but You'll, you'll see it has lots of pictures and um, I, I bought a completely broken computer space machine for which for people who don't know is the very first arcade game right the very first commercial arcade game it was made by Nolan Bushnell before the year before he started Atari so anyway did that did uh, uh, did a, a space wars did a pong I'm working on a game called space race right now which is the third arcade video game ever made and um, I have I I would geek out if honestly if I say anything more it's going to be like a half hour of me geeking (laughs) out about this stuff but it's really fun it's really fun for me to go back to the very very early days when people made video games just out of simple chips and uh, maybe I'll build my own that'd be awesome why not you're you're that's it seems to be in your DNA it's what you do
1: yeah Ed Freeze the man uh, responsible for getting Halo onto the Xbox, and so many, many other games <laughs> that are in your portfolio. Uh, I learned a lot. I had a great time. Thank you so Good. much for stopping yes. by. Happy to do this. And, uh, of course, for more episodes of IGN Unfiltered, be sure to look on IGN on YouTube or on iTunes. We do these each and every month with the best, brightest, and most interesting folks in the game industry. So, Ed, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Contained
1: herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein